Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it's for your sake that I've borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I've become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I'm the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Those are verses 6 through 13 of Psalm 69, the first 38 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Friday, November the 5th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're going to complete the book of um, the the seventh chapter of the book of Ezra today, and then skip forward to chapter 8, verses 21 to 36 in the same book, and then we're going to do the first eight verses of Revelation 15, and then verses 13 to 21 of the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 14. So we have... Now we are moving forward with Ezra as he has come back to, um, or is going back to Jerusalem after being um, set free to do so and provided for by Artaxerxes, the, the Persian emperor. So he begins this passage with, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that's in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. So Ezra is thanking God that he put it into the heart of the Persian king to beautify the house of the Lord in Jerusalem and then extended steadfast love before the king and his counselors that they might be set free to go and do this. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, as they were beginning to leave the land, that we the, the Babylonian land, by the way, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. In other words, what he's saying is, is that, that after I bragged on God, after I told the king how great God was, and that he wasn't a God of just the territory there in Jerusalem, but he was the God of all heaven and earth, that he would provide protection for us, even in places that have other gods. So I couldn't really ask after that that he would give us a protection detail. I couldn't ask for soldiers to accompany us to keep us safe because I'd already told him we'd be safe anyway because we were doing God's work. And so he'd watch over us and keep us safe. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Now, could Ezra have skipped this step of fasting and praying, just trusting that God wanted that? Yes, he could have, but he didn't. And that's an important thing to remember. Don't take God's protection and, and, and God's uh, loving kindness in these ways for granted. Pray and ask him for those things, even though he's promised to provide them. Then I set apart 12 of the leading priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of their kinsmen with them. 
And I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. So he, he sort of made a collection among the Jews there in Babylonia to take back and provide for the house, even those people who weren't going. I weighed out into their hands 650 talents of silver and silver vessels worth 200 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold worth 1,000 derricks, and two vessels of bright fine bright bronze as precious as gold. And I said to them, You're holy to the Lord, and the vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. So because they're the priests, they are indeed, as I said the other day, to be holy to the Lord. They're set apart for the Lord. They're not to be engaged in other kinds of work. Their work is literally the stuff of God, the worship of God, the things of God. And so you're holy, the vessels are holy, and the gold and silver are a freewill offering to the Lord. Therefore, they don't belong to you. You can't do with them as you please. They have to be presented to Him. And then we depart... Oh, sorry guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the head of the father's houses in Israel at Jerusalem within the chambers of the house of the Lord. Guard them with your lives. Don't let anything happen to these. So the priests and Levites took over the weight of the silver and gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Then we departed the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. Remember, he said he left on the first day. So it took 11 days to get to the river where they're leaving the land and they're going into sort of the wilderness. This is another second exodus sort of a thing. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes, by the way. In other words, we got there completely safely. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days, just like Nehemiah did. Nehemiah showed up. He spends three days in Jerusalem before he does anything. And so here they come, and they wait for three days. And on the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Merimoth the priest, son of Uriah, and with him was Eliezer, the son of Phinehas, and with him were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui. The whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. So it's, they, were, they had been entrusted with keeping this stuff safe as the band of people traveled down to Jerusalem, and as they get there, they then they're, they're giving an accounting. They said there should be this much of gold, this much silver, and these bronze things. And so they had to weigh that out, and then they had to receive that amount on the other side. So, so there's the check and the balance of the audit in that. At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all of Israel, one for each tribe, 96 rams, 67 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats, again, one for each tribe. That They're coming and doing all this to, in order to prepare the temple. Uh, things, things have to be consecrated first, and the people are the first things that have to be consecrated. Then the temple can be consecrated after the priests have consecrated themselves. And so these, these uh, sacrificial offerings, these burnt offerings to the Lord, are there in order to, to thank him and to consecrate the people and to fulfill all righteousness according to the law. And they also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people in the house of God. So they gave them what was their due to all the people who were the rulers in these various little provinces and stuff. And then they assisted the people from that treasury because that was what Artaxerxes had commanded. 
So in the gospel, Jesus heard this about John. He withdrew from there in a boat to a des- desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them and healed the sick. So Jesus, his, his fame has extended to this region where he is, and they just heard that he was there, and so they bring their sick to him. Would be that that happened regularly, right? I mean, at Paulie's, at the church that we served there, it did. People brought sick people the last uh, Wednesday we were there. We had a Wednesday healing service. The last Wednesday we were in Pauly's Island, still on staff, as Suzanne and I had gone to lunch, and as we came back, we passed the old church where that service was, and there was an ambulance out front. And so I asked the priest who was conducting that service a little later, I said, so what was going on? Did somebody get sick or hurt or whatever in the healing service today? He said, no, this is a person who had a um, a cancer diagnosis that there was nothing that they could do for him and the the surgeon said but i've heard about this place in paulie's island this church down there where miracles have occurred and so if if you're up for it and so they put this guy in an ambulance they brought him down there for prayer i mean i wish that that were a commonplace thing i wish that we took seriously the belief and the understanding that god heals and, and that he heals today and those miracles still happen i've seen it and so i I wish that that was characteristic of the church today, that when when we had a meeting, people came with an expectation that they could be healed in that place. And so here these people come believing fully that Jesus can heal them. And so it was evening, and the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and we're in the middle of nowhere, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. you got you got to release these people, Jesus. got to give the benediction. We can't keep singing. Um just as I am over and over and over, you know, it's like, like we would in the church that I grew up in when we got to get people saved. Um, so that's the only song apparently that did that. But so they're telling them, you got, you got to release these people. We, they need to go. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we got, we've only got five loaves here and two fish. He said, bring them to me. They ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and take in the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces, one for each disciple, left over. And those who ate were five thousand men, besides women and children. We don't know how many people were actually there, but what we what we see is this miraculous provision that Jesus is able to make out of this thing because of faith and trusting God did this, but he still went through the, the and I'm not saying going through the motions in, in a way of, of diminishing anything that happened here. I'm saying that he went, as Ezra did, he went through the motions of praying and asking God to bless this and, and cause it to be enough for the people that were there, and then some. And so Jesus could have skipped that step. He is, after all, God. But he does this thing and, and prays and asks. He doesn't presume on anything. He doesn't presume upon his sonship. And he could have, but he doesn't presume on his sonship in the same way they didn't presume on his sonship in the wilderness when he had no food and Satan tried to tempt him to turn stones into bread. He didn't presume on sonship then. He never presumed upon sonship. He never presumed that God would just do these things because, well, that's who God is. No, he always asked God to do what needed to be done. 
And so that's a principle that we need to take in our own lives. We should never presume on anything, not on sonship. We should never presume on uh, t- that, that God will do things simply because it's his character to do things. That one way of giving thanks in advance is to pray him and ask for him to do it. And that will remind us then that we've prayed and asked this thing that he has given us. Then we can go back and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Because he need not do it. So it's important always that we pray and not presume. In, in Revelation 15, I see another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now in Revelation 4, what we've seen is this one seated on the throne, and before the throne was a sea of glass. It doesn't mention fire in that one. It's where the four living creatures are and where the 24 elders are gathered around that sea of glass, which is the throne. We also see that basic thing, this sea of glass, around another throne, and that throne is in Exodus 24, when Moses and the elders go up and have a meal with God. We see that same sea of glass underneath his throne moving out from the throne. So it's utterly transparent. But here, that glass is mingled with fire because that's judgment that's coming and also along with that sea of glass those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of god in their hands so these are humans who have who have conquered and they sing the song of moses the servant of god in the song of the lamb the song of moses is from exodus 15 um the first 15, 20 verses of Exodus 15 are, are the song of Moses after they have gone through the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army has been drowned in the Red Sea. After the plagues and all that, then they cross over from the Red Sea. They cross through the Red Sea through the, on the midst of dry land, and then Pharaoh's army is swallowed up by the sea, and, and then they sing what we know as the first worship song. And, and Miriam and some of the women joined in a portion of that song. And the song that they're singing now is a combination of these songs. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked in the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was open, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And so this authenticates them as angels of God because they're dressed in pure bright linen. And it's the same kind of pure bright linen that we see in Jesus in the transfiguration. And so they're clothed in these garments of pure bright linen and golden sashes around their chest. They are holy to the Lord in the same way that the priesthood was holy to the Lord in the Old Testament. And so they come out of the sanctuary of the tent of witness. In other words, they've been in the very presence of the living God. And they come from there directly with these seven plagues. And one of the four creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. And we've seen that idea of no one being able to enter into the sanctuary of God in 
two other places. One is when it was consecrated, the tent was consecrated in the wilderness, and the other was when the um, the tabernacle, the, the temple, I'm sorry, was, was consecrated by Solomon. And so we see that same thing. In this, the, so these golden bowls full of the wrath of God, there's a precedent for that, I guess. The, the pretext for that is like Psalm 75. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it's God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there's a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours it out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing the praises Sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. Those are important things to remember, that, that bowls of the wrath of God, that we are all accountable and responsible before the living God. And the way that we show appropriate fear and worship involves exactly what I've been talking about today, which is these prayers always and never presumption.